are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. So Bible characters, that's been the choice, I guess, for these last uh, few Wednesdays as we've come back together. I know Sister Kristen, Pastor Kristen, led off, and she chose a woman. I heard how happy she was about that, the color purple. Some are still wearing purple. Some people are still wearing purple. Um, And then uh, Marcus's, we tried to listen to it multiple times for whatever reason. Just couldn't get it to work out. Maybe the Hills of Branson, not sure what it was. I heard it was amazing, though. I heard he apologized to Timothy. (laughs) Did you encourage him to put those notes in there? No. (laughs) I'm just saying, his mother encouraged him. Maybe you encouraged Marcus. So uh, I'm batting cleanup, maybe. I'm not sure. Um, I can't remember what the details are for next Wednesday. But I wanted to make sure I chose the right Bible character, and I chose Jesus. <laughs> just wanted truth the right one. Just wanted to choose the right one. So here we are. Here we are. So many things to choose about Jesus, right? So I thought about growing my hair out for the lesson. I thought about, I mean, I could say all that. You know, there's no real picture of Jesus, right? So, but, you know, it's the, it's the one that we have. So it would make sense. You know, even my kids, you know, I have a friend, he, he spoke at my, my mother's uh, funeral. And even when we're talking about it, and I'm trying to explain them to people, I say, you know, the guy with the man bun? And it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But my kids, you know, when you, when you have little kids, and when, when he first met them, or when he, they first met him, and you're trying to explain people to your kids, you know, you you're explaining them every other way but their name because your kids aren't going to. So I would say, you know, Jesus. <laughs> and so they'd be like, is, is Jesus going to be there? <laughs> I'm like, well, he's always there. But the Jesus you're talking about, yes, he's going to be there and, and his wife and the kids and stuff like that. So, you know, that stuff's really funny when you're teasing your friends, but then when your kids start to remember the nicknames and stuff, and you're like, oh, it's not really funny now that my kids are saying that. So my other friend, we call him my, I call him my son sometimes, which is a whole nother inside joke of our friends and Ross. You know, the old mom jokes. Never mind. I, never mind. But, all right, we should stick to Jesus on this one. The real Jesus. So this, this is a different angle. This is a different um, perspective and a thought. Um, I haven't, I had never thought of it this much. I mean, I remember all these stories in the Bible, but never had processed or looked at it from this angle. But the title of the thought tonight is Angry Like Jesus. Angry Like Jesus. See the red, the, the flames, the, there's some blue in there. That means really hot. I mean, it's really hot. So this is actually from, if, if you want to read more about it, there's, there's many other chapters it was really hard to, um, but this is where the thought was inspired or, or some notes that I pulled from it. Um, it's a book by a woman named Sarah Sumner. She has a PhD in systematic theology. She's the founder of a, a company called Right on Missions, built to build integrity in the church. So this, this book is meant to, uh, take, meant to take the example of Jesus and spark our moral courage. So our Bible character tonight is Jesus. 
And um, we're going to just look at how he handled, how he used the emotion and feeling of anger. How many of us have been angry lately? Oh, wow. Some, it's okay. It's a safe place. Some hands shot up really fast. All right. How many have been angry today? Wow. A lot of mmms, too. Oh, man. Some finger pointing, too. Like, they were, they were really angry at me. Um, so um, now when you look back, you remember this moment or incident, do you feel good about it? you feel guilty about it? Some people still feeling good about it? I still feel good about how angry I am right now. So anger, uh, a lot of time, is given to family arguments, divorce, fallouts with friends, road rage, unresolved disputes, crimes, and all the way to the extremes of war. Um, but this is the wrong kind of anger. We're not talking about this type of anger tonight. But, in just the whole thought of this, anger by definition from Merriam-Webster says a strong feeling of displeasure and usually of antagonism. Uh, Collins English Dictionary says a feeling of great annoyance or antagonism as a result of some real or supposed grievance. And then Macmillan says the strong feeling you get when you think someone has treated you badly or unfairly, that makes you want to hurt them or shout at them. Just reminding anybody of anything? Maybe this was one of the occurrences today. Synonyms include anguish, anxiety, agony, agonism, and antagonism. Anger is complex because it's always tied to something underneath. It's not a, it's not a primary like emotion. Something else has triggered you to be angry. Everybody agree with that? Okay, good. Then I'll continue. Um, but it's, you know, something envy, guilt, embarrassment, fear, uh, pride, wounded pride, you know, jealous love. Um, but second, it's a secondary emotion. C.S. Lewis says, anger is the fluid that love bleeds when you cut it. I'll just read it once. I had to read it about eight times. Um, but I submit to you tonight that Jesus was angry at, at times, but Jesus was not a sinner. He was perfect. He, uh, Jesus needed, uh, we need to imitate Jesus's good anger. So what was Jesus doing? What are these times, what are these situations when we show the Bible is explaining to us that he was angry? I just looked at Brother Dane, I was just thinking, you know, a funny thought. I didn't, there was not, I didn't even have this earlier because it wasn't a choice. Andrew, the, I don't, I don't know if there's any worship songs about anger. See, we're all thinking, no, I don't think there is. You know, there's no, I've never prayed, Lord, help me to be angry like you. I mean, it's just not a thought. Like when you think about it, there's just not this thought about, do you got one? Are we going to, all right, how much time do you have, Brother Danny? Can you write one? Okay. (laughs) Write a song about anger and we're all going to sing it together here at the end. Uh, But we see in John chapter 2, Verses 13 through 22. Here we have the, this is one of, this is the first thing I thought of before I even got to this point, you know, in the book. But when we think about Jesus being angry, um, I think of the money changers, right? Maybe that's the first thought if you're like trying to process God being angry. So when it was almost time for Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts. He found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords. All the other, um, you know, they, they don't all explain it this way, but John records it this way. 
and drove all the temple courts and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins off the money changers and overturned the tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning. I'm sorry. This is the NIV version. It, it gave a, it emphasized the anger a little bit better. Turning my father's house into a market, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all these? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it, was take, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then, he, then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. I think it's pretty clear here that Jesus was angry. He made cords. It didn't say he whipped anybody, but he made cords driving everybody out. You know, other versions, it talks about how he tossed or he turned over the tables. He told everybody to get out. Then he's talking about destroying things. We understand what he's saying, but I think it's pretty clear here that he is angry. Another situation uh, that we see here is in Matthew chapter 16 in verse 23. And right before this, we know that Jesus is doing what? He's explaining to the disciples that he's going to Jerusalem to do what? To suffer. That immediately makes Peter upset. Okay, that immediately makes him upset. So Peter does what? The only sensible thing. He pulls Jesus aside. As I'm reading this, I'm thinking like, wow, he, Peter really, it's really brave or stupid. I know we're always questioning that about them. But, and the Bible says, and then he rebukes him. So he rebukes him. He says, never, Lord, this, this will never happen. Jesus turned aside and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I'm pretty sure you're going to be, I don't mean, I don't go around calling people Satan all the time. But if, you know, if you're upset at somebody and something like, well, you know, <laughs> it's hard to make eye contact with people sometimes <laughs> when you say things like that. And you're like, well, just... and quit pointing to your spouses in here. I'm just kidding. So, you know, he's saying, get behind me, Satan. He's, he's clearly upset. He's upset to say this, and he says, You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. The point is here, though, that Jesus is what? He's calm, cool, and collective, right? He's speaking as a leader. He's speaking, I mean, as Jesus. That's who he is, right? And, and God, he speaks in that moment. We'll, we'll get to this. But the cool thing that we see I want to highlight is then in Matthew chapter 17, so a chapter later, I know we were always confused in the timing. Regardless, though, and the next interaction that we really have recorded with Peter, he doesn't just remove him, right? He wasn't excommunicated for, re- for rebuking Jesus in that moment. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So Jesus showed, okay, I'm sorry. Did I not put all these verses in here? Three, do you have, is that verse four? Okay, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up, the, up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And then verse five says, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased listen to him. Point being, though, Jesus, after, after being angry, being upset, 
with Peter, he still brings along, which is, is saying something about how he was uh, upset with him and the opportunity for, um, you know, Peter to, to understand Jesus' um, anger towards him in that moment. But Jesus, what was the bottom line? He showed anger of what? Of real love. Okay, can we always say that we show our anger out of real love? Probably not, right? Probably not. So he showed us godly anger. And if it's not just a cliche as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, but in all things we want to be like Jesus. So tonight I say we should be angry like Jesus. If everyone trusted God, godly anger wouldn't be necessary. Jesus' anger is needed on account of people's doubts in the integrity of the God whom Jesus trusted, which we know was what? 100% or fully God and fully man. In our hearts and in our humanity, we do not trust God um, that way, and we prove that in our actions. That's why we have anger that is sinful. If, if we trusted God completely in all that we did every day and everything we said and every step we took, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have sin in our life. And this doubt wouldn't lead us to be upset over things that would do what? Cause us to sin in anger. So it's a, it's a, it's a thing that we continue to see. But Jesus' anger did what? It, it was salt to the earth. Without the salt of Jesus' anger, people accept what's unacceptable. We allow what we shouldn't allow. We don't make changes we should make. We deceive ourselves into thinking that corruption doesn't need to be opposed. We leave it to God. We stay hands off. Conveniently, we do what? We take ourselves off the hook. When we lack Jesus' anger, we allow evil to prevail. Basically, I'm saying what? I'm saying we, we back down. In a cowardly way, we back down because it's, we, don't, we lose courage. When we're being overtaken by a situation because of our humanity, when we allow fear in, we've done what? We've allowed evil to take place in our life. That's a pretty hard thing for us all to admit, but we probably do it daily. In many situations, and I... It's probably like uh, looking at a bar chart, right? It's like some areas, it's like, all right, I tackled this one pretty good today and suppressed it. Other areas I let go, or maybe this area didn't come up. But there's many areas and categories in our life that we need this godly anger to give us the courage to do what? To do the right thing. And that evil that we let in our life, it's really what? It's greed, right? We want certain things more than we want to challenge to push back in the things of life. And then it's what also? Selfish pride. And both are deeply rooted in human pride. So what cometh before a fall in life? Pride, right? So pride cometh before that fall, and that's what we need is we need that salt, right? Sometimes we just need to feel a little salty. Ever done that? Like after you sweated a bunch and then you... Go lift your lips. You're like, I need to wipe my face off. All right. Just three of us. That's awesome. But maybe some of us need to pray uh, to get more salt in our life. To be what? To be challenged by this godly anger 
so we can remove pride in our life. I'd rather be salty than go to hell. I'd rather be salty. I'd rather have moments where I've bit the dust, I'm tasting the salt, and I'm a little like frustrated at myself than get away with it all the time and be on the road to damnation. Amen. We pray, uh, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. The salt of Jesus' anger is God's gift to deliver us. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, we'll look at a few things things that Jesus say, and then we'll look at two other examples to help us um, in our comparison from our humanity to Jesus himself. It says in, in chapter in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So if we're not living a life that's humble, if we're not living a life where we're constantly putting our pride in check, we're no better than what is being walked upon in life. People who are not salted become cynical. Cynicism breeds what? Hopelessness. You ever heard somebody say, have you ever said yourself, why try to make things better? They're just not going to get any better. Cynicism is really what? is anger in disguise, and it turns us into quitters. It turns us into quitters. One of the greatest fishermen, I wish I could say from the Bible, but his name is Mike Iaconelli. He won the championship a couple times, and even on his fishing rods, he says, never give up. Some of you seen that? Got to get a witness, though? <laughs> All right. I'll send a picture out. I'd say I'd post on social media, but somebody have to come over to my house and help me do that. So here's the thing. Never give up. We never want to give up. We never want to let this anger take root um, in our life. But Jesus came bearing a message to say, never give up. When Jesus died on the cross, he did what? He crushed the work of the devil with what? With hope. That none, right? Everybody say None. That none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. Jesus' anger was not cynicized. It was salted. It brought hope. It challenged us to have courage in our life, to do the right thing, built on truth. Because why? Salt preserves the truth and the difference between what? Right and wrong. John chapter 14 and verse 6. We see here Jesus answers, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So as followers of the truth, how many people are a follower of the truth? As followers of the truth, we have a calling not to just tell people about the truth. All right, you with me? Do a couple jumping jacks. I don't have a song tonight. I just want to, if somebody was hoping I did, I don't have a song. I know I kind of mentioned that, and there's another thing at the end, but I don't have a song to sing tonight, so you're going to have to stay with me. I've got the app time set up, but here's the thing. We, we, as followers of the truth, we have to tell people about the truth. The Great Commission, that was a good sermon by Brother Anthony. I give him a shout out because we have the same name, but we have to be honest. We have to tell ourselves the truth. How many of us lie to ourselves? We lie to ourselves all the time. I ate ice cream again last night. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You deserve that. <laughs> Amen. I know. I got more witnesses in the house. 
Okay, so, but we have to tell ourselves the truth. That sounds silly, but that's probably harder to do and in category with this concept that we don't typically talk about a lot. But let me, let's, let me just kind of bring it, um, bring it down a little bit, maybe bring it or pull it to the side. You know, we're talking about Jesus and I know we say he's the greatest example. And I think that intimidates us sometimes enough for us to say, let ourselves off the hook. Like, well, I would try to do that, but that was Jesus. So if I at least do 80% of that, I'm probably going to be all right. Let's just look at a couple more examples just to help us. And then we'll jump back to my Bible character. I don't want to be accused of trying to pull in multiple Bible characters, but we're going to look at David first. We're going to look at the classic story of Goliath, right? So Goliath was doing what? He was defying the one true God. I got news for you. That whole camp of Israelites were lying to themselves. Right? Because they weren't fighting. I mean, I don't know exactly how all the rules go down. But at what point can you not a bunch of guys just run out, kill him, run back, right, Drew? Are you with me? Run back and then say, okay, let's fight. Like, what's going to happen? They might lose their life, but, the, you know, help the battle. I mean, I know when we watch these movies, well, people told me about certain movies. <laughs> I just heard the cavalry was coming, okay? So it, they're just always in that line and things are going on. We've seen things depicted. We have, you know, how it, it, it happens, right, with the Bible. But here's Goliath out in the, mid, out in the middle taunting and defying the one true God, the mighty men of Israel have done what? They've ran away and they're all just back at the camp, including the king. So here's the thing. Goliath was so impressive, though, that even David is coming to there. He's bringing his brother's food and stuff, right? But then he's kind of like, he's wondering what's going on. What's, what's going on? He's looking into it. And then as he's looking in the situation, as he's sizing up Goliath, instead of his brothers even encouraging him, they do what? They start making fun of him. So here, David's obviously, uh, from what we read in the stories and all the details, he's a lot smaller than Goliath. Even his brothers, the closest ones to him, are making fun of him. I know that's what brothers do, but this was not a, a great situation for that. David alone chose to do what, though? Fight Goliath. And he did this with moral courage. And then he even says what? So we don't, we know that he fights him, but in the key here is 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45, 46. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give you the carcass I will give the carcass carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. I don't know about you, but you got to be pretty stirred up. You got to be, there's a, this is a godly anger that David has because he's doing what? He's picking a fight. He's gone out there, you know, Goliath at this point is just, he's offering the fight. He's making fun of all them, but in godly anger, in moral courage, standing on what? What are the words that David is using here? Words that he made up, words that have been passed to him, 
through Israel and through the prophets? Yes, he's standing on what? Truth. His moral courage, his godly anger in this moment is built on truth. He didn't just decide, man, I want to fight today. Anybody know anybody like that? I had a friend in high school, boy, he could walk in anywhere and just was like, I just want to get in a fight. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? I don't think this was David. I don't think this was David. I think David went there and his godly anger was stirred, was provoked when he heard Goliath defying the God and people of Israel. Look at Esther. We look at Esther in Esther 7, chapter 7, verse 3. We know the story here, the verse Um, says the queen of Esther answered, or then queen Esther answered, and she's talking to uh, King Xerxes. It says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This this is my petition, petition and spare my people. This is my request. What had happened? Jewish people had fell into panic from the scheme of Haman to kill them. Haman was politically maneuvered and positioned good amongst the people. Esther alone, on her own, decides to do what? Approach the king. Esther knew, standing before the king, unsolicited, that that was a violation. He had not requested to speak with her. But she did what? Everyone else had backed away. No one else had chose to do what? Everybody else had decided they were off the hook. We don't see any story of of somebody praying and of somebody giving some type of sacrifice on an altar. We don't see any of these other things, but we see Esther positioned such as time for this. That's what we focus on. She does what? With godly anger, she stirred in her heart, standing on truth, knowing that that is God's people. She does what? She finds the moral courage to step up and to step out in this, in this situation. Sorry, I couldn't pull punch my papers tonight because I did a wide layout. It looks so much, um, it took so much moral courage for David and Queen Esther to stand up for what is right. But three things, everybody say three things. Both were confronted by someone of great power. Both took on opponents who were respectable in society. Both opposed leaders of notoriety. I realize that might not be a situation that you're in of that detail, but that sounds like a pretty impossible situation. So bring it down to your life right now. And what is a situation that you're up against the wall or that you know of where the cards are stacked against you? Are you angry enough Should you not be angry? You should be asking yourself, where should I be at in life according to to what? The promises that God has given me and knowing that I am a child of God. Are you not claiming the things in life upon the truth of God's word or the truth that God has given you in your life? David and Esther, they did what? They risked their lives. Their anger was self-giving, not self-indulgent. David did not have to fight. Goliath. Esther was not forced to take on Haman. Both went out of their way to challenge evil. Being angry like Jesus did what for both stories? Saved a nation. 
saved a nation because of the choices that they made on the truth that they stood. So I explain these examples because sometimes I feel like we, we, we think we can't accomplish what, what Jesus did, but these are great examples, great ways we can apply and have, and to think that we can have moral courage also against the things that we face in life. So as we think of these examples and see this loss of life that these stories end with, remember though that Jesus is a friend of sinners. So Goliath dies, Haman dies in these situations, and so how do we process this piece of it? But when he called the multitude of sinners, he did not preach to them in anger. Jesus' anger is not to be used as a weapon. Jesus welcomes sinners home. It's when people do what? It's when they deny the fact that we ourselves are sinners, that our dishonesty provokes the wrath of God. When we're not willing to admit that we've sinned, when we're not willing to admit that we've done wrong and we continue to walk in this sin, that's when the wrath of God is stirred on our lives. So how do we train? How do we develop godly anger? How do we begin this moral courage in our life? And I I tell us today that it starts with our faith. Everybody say faith. So think on this. When Jesus did get angry, that's our Bible character tonight, Jesus, his faith kept his anger clean and pure. Then his faithful anger triumphed over evil. What, what if we trusted God as Jesus did and we could be empowered to overcome evil so much more as Christians? If we're really asking ourselves, are we always trusting God? Are we always leaning? Are we, or are we doubting him when these situations come to us? Jesus trusted God because he knew God. Everybody in here know God? He knew God because he obeyed God. He obeyed God because he loved God. And unless we honestly love God, we won't really care about obeying God. And unless we obey God, we won't know God. And if we don't know God, we won't trust God. Without trust, we develop fear. And with fear, we will not stand for what is right, as we saw the opposite in these examples. Fear makes us less truthful, but we can choose to be truthful with moral courage. We can choose to be what? Salt to this earth. We can use the examples of Jesus' anger to make things right. Most anger is what? Is deadly. But godly anger does what? Gives life. So if you have to ask yourself even, is this a moment where I should be angry about it? Is this a moment that I can stand on a biblical principle? Does it bring death or does it bring life? Ephesians 4 and 26 The Bible tells us here, it's a command. It tells us, it encourages us to be angry. It's pretty neat, right? So, Ephesians 4, 26. I've just got these two more verses, so stay with me here. 8, 11, we finished it like, yep. And we're going to get ice cream. Where are we going? It says, Ephesians 4, 26, it says that, oh, I'm sorry, I started at verse 20. What did I tell you, Brother Forrest? I'm sorry. I probably did. Okay, keep that up there, and I'll just I'll come down to it. Verse 20, it says, That however is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self. Everyone say new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body in your anger. So the NIV says, in your anger, do not sin. We know the KJV says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they might have something to share with those in need. Paul admonishes us in our, here's the key, right? We can't just take a little piece of the Bible and say, well, right here it says, we're taking the whole Bible, we're taking the whole verse, we're taking into context what uh, Paul is writing here under the direction of God, but he says, in your new life, that's with the Holy Ghost. With the Holy Ghost inside you, do what? Speak truth and be angry and sin not. So within our new life, he encourages us. He tells us. There's very few times where we've got this commandment, you know, to do um, something that would, would, would kind of frow our brow or kind of think, all right, well, what does that look like? Be angry and sin not. And I'm trying to say tonight that that is godly anger. We are to be angry with anger that is truthful, even about the condition of our own heart. Godly anger is truthful. It does not exaggerate or distort things to favor human pride. Truthful Truthful anger is humble enough to be honest. Paul implies that it takes the new self to be angry without sin. And everybody says amen. So we have to stand on truth if we're going to be angry. We have to lean on and speak it through the Holy Ghost. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. Here it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So even the Word of God is explaining to us that there's what? There's a godly anger and there's a human anger. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accepted, accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Who is the first person sometimes to accept that filth? We are. It's the same thing. It's the same concept in each verse and story as we keep going through this. We're the first ones to accept and to let ourselves off the hook. Do not merely, the last verse says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. In the NIVs here it says, do what it says. So I think we're all going to practice this week, being angry and sinning not. Now there's a chance you could mess up. So whoever you're sitting by, you might just have to say, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> As, uh, oh, what was Evelyn saying? We were painting my brother in Bethany's house a couple weeks ago, and I got a picture of her, and she is, she wanted to help so bad. I don't know why. He gave her a lot of paint. I, I didn't even plan on throwing him under the bus, but here we are again. And he paint, and she is on a wall that I haven't painted yet with a brush, but it's not... I mean, I'm, about to, I'm going to roll over it, so that's not a problem. But it's, it's from where she's going to. 
she's not wiping the brush off as she leaves, you know, and it's just, she's got a trail going, and he's like, whoa, 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 baby, 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 you gotta stop, you gotta stop, and she's like, dad, I learning, (laughs) I just learning, I learning, I was like, yeah, Beach, she's learning, (laughs) so I hope you like that color on your carpet, so, you know, you just gotta look at that person and say, hey, I learning, I just learning, trying to be angry and sin not. I want to be like Jesus. I just learning. I just learning. Okay, so we have to do what the Bible says. Other verses um, say, and they show us, we keep talking about it, that the anger of man, but we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So in this new life, we have what? We have the power to practice this godly anger. It's, it's doable. Because Jesus was fully God, and fully man, and we know that he didn't sin, we know that this is possible. It is possible to follow the word of God and to have godly anger. Our human anger has the wrong motives and desires because of the fall of man that started in the Garden of Eden. That human anger is fallen anger and is loveless. None of us are taught how to generate sinful anger, but neither is it instinctive it's not second nature, like unless you want to call yourself an animal. It's not second nature. This is part of sin that we allow in our life. It's not just this thing that just comes out and we say, I, I had no clue that I was going to do that. It's sin. And, I, and think of the fact that James tells us how to be slow to anger and to not be angry at all. I I haven't heard, I haven't seen it, but the Bible doesn't say be slow to lie. That would, that would make an interesting lesson. It doesn't say be slow to kill. You know, there, we're, we don't see this concept written or emphasize this thought of be slow to do this. Be careful about this on specific emotions and stuff. But, but he does, we do see God say this to us through his word, be slow to anger, be slow to speak. So we know that the power is in the tongue. Last page. I'm on the last page. Get that song ready, Brother Dan. So what does Jesus's anger look like? So we kind of started with some, some stories of uh, Jesus and going back to this thought. In the times the Bible says Jesus was angry. Okay, so what does it look like in these moments that Jesus got upset in the, in the times he was angry? Here's a, a thought or perspective to think through. He was the only one. When you look at the scripture and the way it was recorded, he's the only one that's angry. Usually you can talk somebody else into getting angry with you. You explain the story and they're like, yeah, are you kidding me? That's unreal. I mean, you could, you could create a mob pretty fast. Who should have been able to create a mob? At least 12 other people. I'm just saying. And, but, you know, we see here in the scripture in, the, in these times, but the thing is that with this godly anger, Jesus was consumed by zeal. When the money changers overtook the temples, it was Jesus alone who was upset. Jesus alone rebuked the storm. The disciples had talked themselves into, there's no way we could stop this. Jesus alone rebukes the storm. Jesus reproached 
his own disciples. Jesus alone groaned when full cities of proud people refused to have faith even after witnessing his miracles. It was Jesus who raged at the tomb of Lazarus. All these situations drew out the anger of Jesus and he salted the situation with the anger of love. Jesus and Peter in Gethsemane. Peter blew a fuse, cutting off an ear, and chose, and Jesus did what? Chose grace, loving his enemies and putting the ear back on. Can we love our enemies with godly anger? We are all guilty of being too angry or not being angry enough. Jesus, though, was angry and not angry in all the right ways and all the right times. And he's never criticized for his anger. Maybe that's another reason that we don't think of it this way a lot. But Jesus was what? He was falsely and unfairly accused of many different things. He was dubbed as a drunkard, a glutton, an insurrectionist, a liar, a Sabbath breaker, a criminal, an insubordinate blasphemer, and being demon-possessed, but never was he accused of being a hothead. Because why? Because godly anger is a form of moral authority, and moral authority rests on truth and love. Moral anger looks like stern leadership and does not mislead. Moral anger dares to promote God's standards, and moral anger speaks one thing, the truth that God is faithful. So four lessons we learn from Jesus' anger, and then we have our app time, and I think I'm on time. The first one is Jesus wants us to rely on God's integrity. Jesus doesn't, he's shown us the example, and we see from the word of God, he doesn't, we shouldn't doubt God. In these moments when we step back, in these moments when we have fear, when we go sit with the rest of the camp, is that what we should be doing or should we be have? where is our faith in God in that moment? Where is our, is our thought process? Are we relying on human wisdom or divine wisdom? And that's what we have to ask ourselves. Number two, Jesus was unwilling to compromise his own integrity. So don't doubt God and don't go along with what everyone else is doing when it's not right or it's not the truth. The third thing Jesus hated when God's name was used to hide religious corruption or offended in any way. And number four, Jesus' anger verifies that God hates evil more than we do. Amen. God help us. All right, we have our, our app time. I try to do it a little bit different instead of just asking a question. Where we able, All right, that works perfect. So here we go. You can, I don't. I don't remember what we say. It's like, a, you know, you can you could call a friend if you want. I think it'll take more time than we have here. Um, but you can just, you can stay in a group. You're trying to fill out. You're trying to fill out. We've got the column of godly anger filled in already. So what is the opposite? What is the opposite? What is the sinful anger? Where is our, where is our human, uh, where do we fall short? in our human abilities and uh, what we do. So what are the opposites according to the verses, according to uh, what we talked about tonight? I guess I can't partner with somebody because I have all the answers. Or does anybody want to? uh, The right person. Okay. 
How are we doing? Anybody want any hints? All right, here we go. Seeks God's interest. The opposite for sinful anger would be seeks self-interest. All right. Godly anger teaches. Sinful anger taunts. Yeah, sinful anger taunts. Godly anger speaks truth. Sinful anger speaks lies. Godly anger loves correction. Sinful anger is, I can't hear everybody saying, but insulted by, insult, okay, good, insulted by correction. Godly anger rebukes. Sinful anger blames or shames. Yep, any of those will work. Godly anger disciplines. Sinful anger punishes. Godly anger protects. Sinful anger bullies. Godly anger uh, is zealous. Sinful anger is reckless. Godly anger is proactive. Sinful anger, anger is reactive. Godly anger is hopeful. Sinful anger is cynical. Godly anger guards love. Sinful anger guards pride. Pride. So, all right. Well, God help us. God help us. Let's pray in, in closing. Pray that God helps us to have godly anger. Pray that God helps us to stand on uh, the truth of his word and his promises um, to be better disciples. Amen. Lord, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this look into your word and uh, that you've made your word available uh, to us and that it speaks life. God, help us to to speak life. Help us to give life in the words that we say and the things that we stand for. Uh, help us to be inspired, to have moral courage, and to face adversity and situations that may come our way from the workplace to our homes, uh, situations that we've never foreseen ourselves being in, God. But we trust and we believe in you, and we thank you for your timeless word uh, that is always impacting our lives. Help us to be open to it. Help us to be humble, God. Help us to love and give you all the glory. Amen, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.